Well, good morning and welcome to Renaissance. My name is Chris, and it's good to have all of you here on this amazing fall day. I'm excited. Yes, I'm still new to Jersey, so fall makes me happy. If you grew up here, you're like, oh, fall means winter, but uh, I, I'm loving it. And uh, we're in this uh, series called Imagine. We're spending uh, two weeks, so this is the second weekend in this series. And uh, if you missed last week or if you're a guest with us, uh, today, uh, you can always log on to renaissancechurch.org and click on messages, and there you can watch, listen, share, download uh, uh, not only last weekend's messages, but the previous ones as well. It's just a great tool resource for you. And also today, we're, we're uh, uh, launching something uh, kind of new. We've been playing around with different uh, methods of doing this, and we just kind of said, let's keep this as simple as possible. And so if you have a smartphone or a tablet with you or uh, a laptop with you, or if you happen to bring your desktop with you, which would be impressive, uh, you can just go to renaissancechurch.org and uh, forward slash notes. And uh, every weekend this will be available uh, for you, and basically we just kind of populate that notes uh, page with uh, the core scriptures that, that I'm going to go through, and uh, any other just big chunk of information that's just critical to that message. And so you can kind of follow along. Uh, with me, and then you can catch me if I like skip something. Uh, don't scream out if I skip something. That might be on purpose, uh, <laughs> or maybe not. But uh, but also during the week, if you're like, uh, what what was that verse? Or I I can't quite remember what Chris said. Uh, it will be up there until the next weekend. And uh, so for today, we actually put the prayer that uh, we went through last week uh, on there as well. So that's just another place. So. Again, just a resource for you, uh, uh, and we're really fine with you on your smartphones or tablets, unless you're texting someone or playing games like Candy Crush. But anyway, so, so we're in this series called Imagine, and uh, all of us have this amazing ability uh, to use our imagination, and we use it every day. We use it with our kids. We uh, use it in our personal lives as we start thinking about maybe for you retirement or a new chapter, a new job, what you want to do in the future. And so we are always getting these mental images of what could be or what we desire uh, to see in the future. And so as we thought about this two-week series, because we just want to kind of uh, push pause and just talk about the church and we just said to ourselves, what if we all could imagine what the church, God's church, could really uh, look like, really uh, become? That'd be, that'd be powerful. But here's the thing that we all know about our imagination. Our imagination is largely influenced by past images. It's just our. And so as we wanted to talk about, let's imagine what the church could be and to become, well, what I know is all of us have images associated with this whole idea of church from the past. Some of those images are powerful. Some of those images are meaningful. Some of those images bring life into you, but also some of those images are dark and some of those images are filled with tension and some of those images are filled with hurt. So just maybe we could together slide those dark images into a file folder, set them to, to the side. We, I mean, I'd love to delete them, but that's not real. And maybe between last week and this week, grab onto a couple new images, images that God has for his church, because God designed his church with a very specific path, a very specific strategy 
a very specific purpose. And that if we can grab onto these images, God's images, then maybe we could together really imagine what the church could be and to become. Last week, we looked at a prayer. It was the very first prayer from the very first church. We, found, we find it in Acts chapter 4, and the whole book of Acts was written by a guy named Luke, who was a physician. He wrote what we call books, two books uh, of the New Testament, but originally they were one book with volume 1 and volume 2. Volume 1 we call uh, the Gospel of Luke, and it's uh, Luke's account of Jesus' kind of a snapshot of his life, his messages, his miracles, who he interacted with. And volume 2 was the book of Acts which is his account of the launch and the beginning of the church. Two very powerful, powerful books to read through. And so in Acts chapter 4, uh, we discovered this prayer that the very first church prayed. And so we took this prayer and we kind of uh, uh, brought it down into a way that we all could maybe remember it throughout the week, brought in some uh, more modern words into it, but still the heart of the prayer is the same. And I encouraged everyone, say this prayer this week. And it was so encouraging as I've interacted with people, especially Friday night at the park. So many people said, man, I've been saying this prayer all week. Or I had several people say, well, I I said parts of it, but I couldn't remember it all the time. So I I think I got most of it correct. Is that okay? I'm like, yeah, God can fill in the blanks. He's smart like that. But this is what the prayer said. God, you are sovereign. It's my encouragement for all of us when we pray, no matter where you find yourself on the spiritual journey, Just start there. Start at the sovereignty of God, God's power, God's perfection, God's purpose, God's will. Because when we start looking at God's sovereignty and realizing who God truly is, it kind of takes all of our life issues and problems and tensions, and it just shrinks them a little bit compared to the sovereignty of God. That's where the church started. God, you are sovereign. They went on, they said, enable me to speak your word with great boldness. And I shared last week that this wasn't a prayer that Peter and John, two like icons of the church, it wasn't them praying this, it was common people like you and me praying this prayer. And they were saying, enable me to speak your word with great boldness, with courage. When I'm in a relationship with someone and that that door opened to have a spiritual conversation, help me to walk through that door and have that conversation. When I'm walking with a friend through a difficult life issue and I know their beliefs and our beliefs don't line up, but when that door opens, God, help me to have that conversation, to have the courage, to have the boldness to step into that conversation. God, use me to help my friends and family members on their spiritual journey. And then they prayed, God, stretch out your hand to do the unimaginable. God, you work beyond us. God, you do something that only you can do. God, you do the unimaginable. And when God does the unimaginable, and when we speak his word boldly, guess what happens? This catalytic movement called the church explodes. All week, I actually prayed this uh, last part of the prayer a lot. God, stretch out your hand and do the unimaginable. And if you were at the concert on the green, you experienced something special. So many people, friends of yours, 
that you invited showed up. I'll talk more about that later. But I found myself in that space Friday night saying, God, you're doing the unimaginable, something beyond us. Thank you, God. You see, this early church went from about 120, many of whom were eyewitnesses to Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, from 120 to 3,000, from 3,000 to 5,000, from 5,000 and beyond. It exploded onto the scene. Why? Because this group of Christians said, God, you are sovereign. Enable me to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to do the unimaginable. And between their boldness and God's power, guess what happened? Lives started being changed. Well, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus actually starts, kind of launches the church with a very specific strategy plan. And it was real simple. He said, you will be my witnesses. And he's looking at a group of people that were witnesses. I mean, they're, they're, they're standing right with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. They, they had witnessed him crucified. They had uh, witnessed him buried in a tomb. He was dead. And now they're standing there talking to him. And so when Jesus says to them, you will be my witnesses, they're like, yeah, yeah, we, we, we get that, Jesus, because you're right there in front of us right now. But you will be my witnesses. I want you to go out and tell people about me. And then he gives them kind of uh, the game plan. He says, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was, was their home city. If Jesus was saying this to us today, it would be like, you'll be my witnesses to Summit or to Short Hills or to Chatham or New Providence or Sparta, or Westfield, wherever you live. It was your home city to your neighbors the people you see every day, soccer season's underway. And so we had soccer game yesterday, another one this afternoon. It's all these people that my kids go to school with. It's, it's our neighbors. And that's what Jesus was saying. Hey, you start, with, you start with where you live, the people you are interacting with on a daily basis. And then he said Judea. And that was the surrounding area. For us, it'd be like him saying New Jersey or kind of the New York City, New Jersey area. Like, it's where you travel and you interact with throughout your weeks and months. And then he said Samaria. That'd be the people that maybe you don't like, that I don't like. Maybe the people that we don't interact with a lot. If we had our choice, we'd say, no, not today. The places where we kind of choose to avoid not to go. And Jesus says, no, go, go to that place as well. And then every time I, I read Acts 1-8, I kind of smile because I think when Jesus said, to the ends of the earth, he had this smirk on his face, like that kind of like, <laughs> you guys have no clue what the ends of the earth means. Because in that, that day and age, they thought like the tip of Spain was the ends of the earth. They had no idea that there were still continents left to be discovered. And I think Jesus just knew that some 2,000 years later in a city called Summit, there was going to be a church called Renaissance And as a pastor named Chris said, to the ends of the earth, it would mean something totally different to us than it did to this group of people that he was talking to. So he gives us the strategy. He says, now go. And that's what the church did. They went. 
and the movement called the church exploded on the scene. Well, like any organization, business, nonprofit, you name it, we're gonna, we all get this, that, that uh, no matter how catalytic it is, no matter how, how clear the vision is, uh, organizations, nonprofits, PTOs, businesses, you name it, uh, always experience conflict, right? Why? Because people are involved. Whenever people are involved, guess what happens? Conflict happens, right? Families, conflict. Family reunions, more conflict, right? There's, it just happens because we're, we all are messy people. And so what we experience in the launch of this church is the very first conflict, major conflict, that erupts from within this church. And it's so significant that if the result had been different, I don't think we would have been sitting here today. So let's get into this conflict. Luke records it, Luke chapter 15. And this is how we get into it. He goes, certain people, and we'll, we'll find out who these certain people are in a minute. But certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Now on one side... Uh, when it says they were teaching the believers, remember the prayer to speak boldly. They were speaking boldly. But it's what they were teaching that created the conflict. It was how opinionated they were with their teaching that created the conflict. It was the stakes that they were driving into the ground that was creating the conflict. Now, this next little section is going to be a little PG-13. So I'm just, it's a little warning. Uh, if you have kids, we have great kids' environments, by the way. So there's a warning. I just gave it to you. You can sneak out if you want. But um, what created the conflict may, maybe won't apply as much 2,000 years later, but I think the heart behind the conflict does in an amazing way. So they were teaching the believers, unless you are, and we're going to fill in that blank here in a moment, that's where it becomes a little PG-13. Unless you are, according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Can you feel that tension? Unless you, you can't be saved. And it happens in churches all the time. Unless you attend this class, you cannot be. Unless you can't recite this, you cannot be. Unless you uh, act this certain way, you cannot be. Unless you follow our rules, you cannot be. And it's just what happens when human beings get their hands on things. We complicate things. And within just the first few years of the church, guess what erupts within the church? Policy. There's some good policies. I, I, I'm not anti-policy guy. There, there's some, we got policy in our kids' area, you know, because we want it to be a safe and secure area for our kids, right? So I'm not anti, anti-policy guy. But when it comes to salvation, different story. And this is what they were teaching. Unless you are circumcised. You have to have a surgery to be saved. Okay. Now, to step back into this, and this is for guys, especially women, you, you had an easier path to be saved. Okay. I, I get it at, you know, uh, a child's eight months or eight days old, circumcision's fine. But when you're 40, 
or 50 or 60. Maybe if you're just over a year, right? If you're a boy, it's just, this is, this is a major step. You want me to do what? To be what? Right? Could you imagine that tension? Man, I've just heard this amazing message. Someone's sharing with me about Jesus and what Jesus did. And he died on the cross and he rose. And this is amazing. And, and they asked me, hey, do you want to turn and trust in Jesus? And you're like, yes. They're like, great. Uh, first thing, you got to schedule with doctor. What? Yeah, you need a surgery. What? And this group of certain people, actually in Acts uh, chapter 10 is when we first kind of uh, uh, encountered this group of certain people. Luke gives them a title. It's awesome. It's in the original Greek. It's called, they were called those of the circumcision. Can you imagine that at a convention name tag? Hi, my name's Chris. I'm part of those of the circumcision, right? But that's what he calls them. It's this group of people. But see, the heart behind it was this. Christianity exploded out of Judaism. It's where it started. And so you had this group of people who were Jews. And what they were say, saying was this. If you're a Gentile, which, which all that means is you, you're not a Jew. So everyone else who wasn't a Jew was a Gentile, which was a large, large percentage of the people. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to be a Christian, you first had to become a Jew, then a Christian. And to become a Jew, from a Gentile to Jew, there was about five to six different things, depending on what list you looked at, that you would have to go through to religiously become a Jew. Circumcision was on that list. And so what this group of certain people were saying was like, hey, go from Gentile to Christian, you must go from Gentile to Jew to Christian. Think about how many people kind of were listening to that. I'm talking Gentiles going, you want me to do what? And this group of certain people would come back at them. I could just imagine the conversation. You know, Gentile guy goes, you want me to have surgery? They're like, yeah. Abraham did it. Abraham was in his 90s. Step up to the plate. Man up. Come on, let's go. That was Abraham. Well, Ishmael, his son, was circumcised at age 13. Man up. Come on, let's go. That tension just exploded. Well, Paul uh, was right in the middle of this because Paul and Barnabas had uh, been traveling to the ends of the earth. They had just come back from a trip where they went to Cyprus and multiple cities on what we now know as kind of the southeastern part of Turkey. And so they had been uh, sharing about Jesus to all these Gentiles in all these cities. And they had been experiencing amazing life-changing people. And they had come back to Antioch, kind of their home base, their home church. And this is where these certain people were teaching. And Paul hears this, and Barnabas hears this, and he goes, you want what? No, 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 we've been out with the Gentiles. We've been having these conversations. Lives are being radically shifted and changed. It's amazing. People are accepting Jesus. They're turning and trusting in him. It's amazing. And you want us to say what? Well, the church leaders in Antioch said to Paul and Barnabas, hey, we, we, we got to solve this because this conflict could destroy the church. This is significant. So they sent them off to Jerusalem, 
where kind of the leadership of the church all lived. The, 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 the head of kind of Christianity was still in Jerusalem. And so they sent them down to Jerusalem. And when Paul and Barnabas got there, uh, all the church leaders gathered together, the elders, the apostles, other people in leadership. And Paul and, and uh, Barnabas started to share stories. I mean, real-life stories from their travels to Cyprus and all these cities in southeastern uh, Turkey. And they started sharing story after story about Gentiles turning and trusting in Jesus, their lives being radically shifted. And all of a sudden, in the middle of story time, this happens. I'm sorry, go to the next one. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up. Now, there's two sides to this moment. The first side was like, you could just sense the tension. is like enough story time. Okay, it's all emotional. People are getting their lives changed. That's great. But we got business to do. We got an issue to solve. So you can feel that tension, right? They're like, come on, enough of these warm and fuzzy stories, Paul and Barnabas. But what I think is interesting, too, is if there's Pharisees. Now, if you've studied the Bible, uh, there's two kind of uh, Jewish religious uh, leading uh, parties that interacted together, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. It was the Sadducees and Pharisees that crucified Jesus. And what we see early on in the church are now there's Pharisees that are now Christ followers. When I talk about this catalytic movement, I mean, we see Pharisees who are part of the Jewish religious leadership, now Christ followers. It was catalytic. Lives were being changed. People were following Jesus. But they stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of the Moses. Uh, law of Moses. They must be. They have to be. This is the law of Moses. They have to follow. They have to obey. We've all done it. They have to. They drove a stake in the ground. Then Peter stood up. And Peter shared this. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and and God knows the heart. He showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. And Peter brings it back down in. He goes, guess what, guys? It's about the heart. It's not about their actions, what they do on the outside. Remember everything that Jesus taught was about the heart. Because what Jesus knows is as hearts change, actions change. As hearts grow to love God more and to follow God, guess what happens to actions? They follow and see. Jesus cares about the condition of a person's heart. Because everything flows from that. He goes on. Because now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to, to bear? A yoke was this massive 
piece of wood that they would lay upon the necks, the shoulders of oxen. And not only was it extremely heavy, it was restrictive. And Peter just says, what? why would we place this weight upon Gentiles? Why would we place all these restrictions, some 613 laws upon Gentiles? We as Jews and our ancestors, we haven't been able to carry it. We haven't been able to live up to it. So why would we place that upon them? And then Peter's going to drive in his stake into the ground. He goes, no, no. We believe that it is through grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. It's not by what you do. It's not by uh, how nice you are to people. It's not by how much you give to charity. It's not by allowing someone to cut in front of you as they go into the tunnel and you're like, I've done my good deed for the day. It's not about what you do that saves you. It's about grace. It's what Christ did on the cross. And here's what I get. Some of you have images attached to the church that's all about works. If I do enough, then God will save me. If I do enough, then maybe God will like me more, love me more possibly, and maybe I'll get to heaven. If I do enough, some of you are here today in church just because you think, okay, if I go to church, then there's nothing you can do. That's an amazing story of Jesus. Jesus did it all so grace would be extended. Jesus died on the cross so grace would be extended for all people. You just have to turn and trust in him. And Peter's like, let's not place this yoke upon Gentiles. Let's not place these restrictions. Because God knows the heart and his grace. Well, then the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. Peter gets done. You could feel the tension dissipate as everyone's like, you're right. Peter's right. And then Paul and Barnabas started to share more stories about life change. Men and women that they had sat down with and talked with and shared about Jesus with and who had received the grace that can only come from Jesus. And their lives were radically shifted. But Peter wasn't in charge of the council in Jerusalem. Another guy was. James. James, the brother of Jesus, was sitting kind of in that seat of authority, the seat of decision maker. James, the brother of Jesus, was overseeing this entire council. And James speaks up. And he looks at Peter. But he calls Peter by his Hebrew name. He says, Simon. Which I think is a powerful moment. Because it's this Jewish culture that they are all living in in Jerusalem. That they, they had grown up in. And he said, Simon, remember. Hey. He's a Jew. He now has his different name, Peter. But remember his roots. And he's right. 
Simon's right. And then James pulls back from the Old Testament, which was their only Bible. They didn't have an old and new. And he says, remember what the prophets Amos and Isaiah have said. The prophets line up to what Peter's saying. And then James casts his judgment, makes his decision. And this was his decision. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. What a statement. Hey, let's remove the obstacles. Let's not make this difficult. Let's not create all these hoops and hurdles for Gentiles to go, go through to accept Jesus. Let's do everything we can to minimize obstacles. Why? Because we want people to encounter Jesus. That's what we want. So let's remove those obstacles. Well, then he gives a couple more guidelines. And I'll unpack this quickly. He says, instead, we should write to them. So write a letter, kind of this official like stance. Hey, let's, let's not make it difficult. And he goes, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. And basically what he was saying is two different things. One is, we as a church, let's just abstain from sexual immorality. Why? Because that's just wise living. I've never sat down with a couple that were having marriage issues because of something sexual, an indiscretion, a decision that one or both had made. I've never sat down with a couple, and they've said to me, wow, this has brought us closer together. I'm so thankful she, I'm so thankful he did that. Maybe 10 years later, as they've worked through the pain of the hurt. And James was just saying, hey, this is just wise. Abstain from sexual immorality. And then, then about this food thing, this is huge in the Jewish culture. It was really offensive to them how the Gentiles ate. And James was just saying, hey, we want to be together. We want to interact together. We want to do this thing together. So let's... Gentiles, if you guys could just be on your best behavior at meals, that will create, that, that will lessen the conflict. Just do that. That's what he's saying. Here's the truth. From the very first church to us today, to every other church that has ever existed, there's a gravitational pull for every church to go inward. Just this, a gravitational pull to focus inward to say, ah, we got it, we got it, we got to keep people. Let's not worry about reaching people. Let's just worry about keeping people. There's a gravitational pull to rules and policies, not minimizing it to say we want to share Jesus with people. And the heartbeat of Renaissance Church is why it was founded, it's why it started, was to reach people. To be a light to the communities that it interacts with. That's why we have everyone on the wall. There's a macro vision to everyone. It's God's vision. He wants all people, all people to hear about Jesus. But there's this micro intentionality to say, hey, guess what? We all have one in our life. That one person we're building a relationship with, that one person we've done so much life with, that one person that we're praying, God, enable me to speak boldly. When that spiritual conversation opens up, allow me to step in. Allow me to have the faith and the boldness and the courage and the desire to step into that conversation 
maybe risk something in that relationship, but have me come in. And we diligently at Renaissance work on elim eliminating distractions, eliminating obstacles, minus three flights of stairs, other than that obstacle, eliminating obstacles so that all people can go on this journey with us. And that's why I'm so comfortable if you're not sure about Jesus or whether you think he lived or not and you're sitting here, I'm, I'm, you're on the journey with us, great. If you're sitting there right now going, Chris, I don't trust you because you're a pastor, I'm fine with that. Because I'm sure there's an image from your past that has caused that. And all I can do is be me and go on a journey with you. If you're sitting there not sure about this church thing because there's a church that has, you fill in the blank, you know. But we want to be a different church. We're not a perfect church. We'll, we, will, we will disappoint you at some point. I will. Why? Because it's filled with people. But this ministry year, I'm so excited. And I want to take a few moments in closing just to share with you what we're doing this ministry year, what's coming up. And I, I hope you know that everything we do is purposeful and planned. And everything we do is to fight the gravitational pull to become an inward church because God has called us to be an outward-reaching church. The first prayer was outward. God, enable me to share with people who do not know about you and do not know about your son. Enable me to share the message of Jesus with people that haven't heard. It was outward-focused. And this decision from this very first church council was all outward. Hey, we, we want to reach Gentiles. And this surgery thing, it's a huge obstacle. Let's remove that. It's not needed. Beyond that, grace saves. So, Friday night, concert on the green. It was our first major step to say we were going to be outward focused in everything we do. And I tell you, it was a special night. We're estimating somewhere between 12 to 1,500 people were there. Uh, we collected over 2,000 items of food just Friday night. Amazing? Yeah. And uh, last year, in, in total, over two weekends, we collected 2,000. So in one evening, uh, we, we, we almost surpassed that from last year. And so uh, if you were here last year, we set a goal of 1,000. And in the middle of the service, I just kind of doubled it because that's just fun to do. Plus, it's renaissance. You guys, like, love those challenges. And so... Uh, uh, so we've already reached last year, what we did last year. So I'm just thinking between this weekend and next weekend, can we double it, right? Can, it, it all goes to fill pantries at schools to help families. So I just think that's a great goal, and so let's double it. And uh, my, my encouragement for you is this. Go home, look in your pantry. I promise you, you have food that you don't even know you have there. We cleared out our pantry last or this past June, and we found items. I'm not joking. We, we threw these away. We, we didn't keep. We found items dated, dated to our Vegas years. That was over two years ago. I'm like, yeah, I don't think these are good anymore, right? So don't bring uh, outdated food. But go home. Clean out your, your pantry. Go to Costco. Just get a couple crates of something, right? Just, let's, uh, let's just pack as much food as we can here. So this weekend and next weekend. Um, but I tell you, uh, it was amazing what happened Friday night. And uh, we're so thankful. Uh, we're partnering with Dyfus this year again for Christmas uh, presents. And it was the first year we did it last year. Again, we're, we're serious about this whole idea of J uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. 
And so partnering with DIFUS really helps us get into the surrounding areas. And, uh, and so uh, I'll never forget when I got the phone call about when all the presents were delivered to this main lady we were interacting with, with DIFUS. And uh, I got the phone call about, you know, to share the story about you know, what took place and what she said has just stayed with me. As tears were rolling down her eyes, she says, we have never seen this quantity, this number of gifts from one organization. But this is what she said next. And this is just renaissance. This is why I love you guys. She goes, not only have we not seen this number, this quantity, I've never seen this quality of gifts. <sighs> right? I mean, so many times on these these, these, these Christmas present drives, people like find the dollar items in the Target sale box, and they're like, oh, kids will love this because they have nothing, so they'll love this. Not Renaissance. Our men's group, I walked into a Wednesday night conversation in our men's group, and they had the, I don't know if they were physically betting, right, like money on the table, but they had this competition about who was buying the nicer presents for the kids. I'm like, that's awesome. I mean, it's kind of jacked up, but that's awesome. <laughs> Right? That's just so cool. And I tell you, this lady was overwhelmed by the, not only the quantity, but the quality. And could you imagine these kids? So this year, man, we just want to take it to a whole nother level. That we as a church can get outside of our walls and, and help kids. Right? And it's not, it's, you guys know it's more than a present. It's the act of love that's behind that present. It's just given to a child who doesn't have anything. So that's coming up. Uh, we will release here in a couple weeks. We're partnering with an amazing organization in Guatemala. We've already had a couple trips. Maybe you've heard uh, conversations about this this last year, but we have two official trips, one in March that lines up to Pingree's Kent Place, a couple of the private schools, spring break, and then one in August. And we're going to just take people to Guatemala to help um, some people that are desperate, desperately in need. And that's into the ends of the earth. And so that's coming up, and uh, I cannot wait. Uh, I've already talked to some people that have been there, and uh, my wife and daughter are planning on going. Uh, she's 11, planning on going in August, and uh, I'm excited for, for Kim and Kiara to go together. So you'll hear more about that coming up. Uh, our weekend services, know that our whole purpose of our weekend service uh, is about the everyone. It really is, and it's why we do what we do here on the weekend. And, uh, and uh, so we're kicking off a new series next weekend. Uh, called Hello, My Name Is, and we're just going to be dealing with relationships because the Bible has such an amazing ability to help us relationally. Uh, it, it just has so much wisdom into that. And so have a be better marriage, be a better parent, be a better boss, be a better employee, be a better friend. We're just going to be de dealing with all of that together. And so that's going to be next weekend. And know that we always have invite cards, and there's some on the guest center, and uh, we had them for the concert on the green. And know that the reason that we have invite cards isn't because our creative team is bored and they just want to print things. Um, they're an incredible tool. And uh, uh, Friday night at the Concert in the Green, this is one of these just cool dad moments. But then I was like, this is a great sermon illustration. I'm always looking for content. And, uh, and so uh, Kim walks up to me at the very, very end of the Concert in the Green. She goes, you can't believe what just happened. I go, what? She goes, do you remember uh, Wednesday morning when Claire got up or uh, was leaving the car to go to school? Claire's my seven-year-old. And she grabbed that whole stack of Concert on the Green invite cards. I'm like, yeah, because she crawled up and over the front seat. And she grabbed them. And she's like, yeah. She went to school and she handed those out to all of her friends. Well, Friday night, everything was wrapping up. Kim's standing there with Claire. She's seven. 
And this little girl walks up to Claire and says, Claire, thank you so much for inviting me to this very fun night. I had so much fun. And standing behind this little girl was her mom. A seven-year-old. Just asking. And they came and experienced maybe a different image of church that night. Just something a little different. That's why we do invite cards. So grab some, give them out. Uh, we have more planned in the spring. I, some very exciting things. I'm running out of time, so I'm not going to share them. So you'll have to just sit there and wonder. Um, our con Christmas concerts are coming up, and uh, our Christmas concerts... Uh, uh, how many of you came to Renaissance for the very, very first time to a Christmas concert? Raise your hand. Come on. Be, yeah. I, I tell you, I don't know how many people I interact with. They're like, very first time Christmas concerts. We do those, again, as an opportunity for you to invite your everyone. Just to get them into a, uh, to Renaissance and go, oh, wow, this place is different. And uh, last year, we went from five to six Christmas concerts. And the, the, the entire uh, 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 creative team, the band, they were, they were like, well, if we do six, we've got to do more. They were just bored doing six. So this year, we're doing seven. And, um, and again, you know, last year was the first year we, we didn't charge for it. Why? Because we want to remove obstacles. For some of you, buying you know, uh, several hundred dollars worth of tickets isn't an obstacle. For some of you, that is. And so we just said, let's remove that obstacle. And last year, we went from 1,100 people the year before to 1,900 people. We removed an obstacle. This year, we're adding the seventh one. So that's coming up, and we're really excited. And uh, the plan that Charlie and the team have has is, if you thought last year's was great, which it was, this year, amazing. Uh, Ignite. Uh, last June, we launched an, what we call our Ignite campaign. We just knew that God was doing some, something significant within Renaissance, and we knew that space was going to be an issue. And space and buildings and New Jersey, they don't get along. They don't like each other. And uh, it's, it's just like we have like 50 acres of lands at the south end of Springfield Ave. Is there a south end of Springfield Ave? Or is it the west? I don't know. It doesn't matter. And, uh, and so uh, uh, we, we launched it in June. And the whole heart with Ignite is to say, let's be prepared for when a space opens up, we're ready. And so uh, many of you jumped in, have been giving to that. And I want to give a quick update. Uh, last fall, we were almost ready to close on a, a, a piece of a property, and uh, basically we were about anywhere from a half million to a million uh, apart on the deal. And uh, they needed more, their church needed more financially, and we didn't think the property was valued that high. And we just had to make a tough but wise stewardship decision. And, uh, and so we said no. And so and then Hurricane Sandy hit. That was fun. And... Um, then this last kind of winter, spring, somewhere in February, we started actually working on another uh, uh, piece of property. It was really excited, uh, exciting. And I was within a weekend to two weekends of announcing it here. I couldn't wait. The contract had gone back and forth, back and forth. We had the final contract. We had signed it. We had handed it back to the seller, waiting for him to sign it. I'm talking we were that close. So many hours behind the scenes working towards this. And uh, they backed out. Okay, God, now what? And so right now we're working on something else. And uh, I would like to share more, and hopefully in the weeks to come I will. We just want to make sure that, you know, um, it's a viable possibility. And so if you're giving to Ignite, please continue. All that money's in the de designated account. Uh, it's not going anywhere. And uh, uh, 
Uh, if you're not part of Ignite, jump in. It's great because one day we're going to need to come as a church and say we need to solve our space issue. Uh, last January, it hasn't even been a year yet, we launched a Saturday night service. And uh, usually in the church world, it takes two to three years for a new service to really grow to its potential. And uh, our Saturday night service grew to potential on the very first night. I was like, wow. <laughs> and uh, and uh, the last nine, ten months, our Saturday night service has either been the number one attended service or number two. The 10.15, the 10 o'clock hour for every church is the biggest hour. And uh, Saturday night's been bumping right into that um, this last year. And so it's been really exciting. It's helped our space issue, to be real honest with you. Well, the last thing I want to share with you. Last week, I shared uh, Acts 4. And as a result of the church praying this prayer in the Catholic movement, Luke records this. He goes, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And uh, um, generosity just erupts within the church when people's hearts start to shift and align with the mission that God has for the church. It just happens. It just happens. And uh, our fiscal year is uh, September 1 through August 31st. It really follows the ministry kind of a flow of our year and strategy of our year. And so that's our fiscal year. And so we just brought our fiscal year to a close. And uh, here in about four or five weeks, I'll give a more, a more official annual report. It'll be online. I'll spend a lot of time in the, in the service talking through it. So just know this is a snapshot. But uh, one of the things that we've really worked on this last year is we have a five-year plan to close our financial gap. Since the beginning of this church, there's been one family that has fi financially supported this church. They have generously carried the financial weight of this church without strings attached and I'm serious with that. Without zero strings attached, they've carried the financial weight. And so when I came here, a team of us, our stewardship team, we just said, we as a church need to start carrying this for them. They, they shouldn't carry it alone. And so we just closed year one of our five-year plan to close the financial gap. And as we were working through all of our projections, we knew that we needed giving to be around a million dollars. We needed to increase it to a million dollars this year. And it was going to be a stretch. Our low estimate, our conservative estimate, was $950,000 we thought we could do this year. Our very, very aggressive estimate was $1,050,000. And we just said between those two, if we hit $1 million, that'd be great. So we're decreasing budget and increasing giving to close this gap. It's what we're doing. And so we looked at these projections and we prayed. And we prayed and we prayed and we had a lot of conversations. We just as a church need to own it. And so as we close this fiscal year, remember, conservative, 950000 very aggressive, $1,050,000. i am so excited to share with all of you, our giving last year was $1,075,000. I just want to say thank you. Seriously. For some of you just jumping into the game with us, linking arms with us financially. For those of you that have increased your giving, Thank you, because we as a church, and it's just what happens when we as a church say, God, we want to be part of your mission to reach out and walk beside people in their spiritual journey. It's just what happens. Now, we still have about a $1.6 million gap to close over the next four years. And I'll talk about that more uh, in four or five weeks. But here's what I know. That's what I know. God 
can do the unimaginable. And what happens in our hearts when we start giving to God an act of worship changes lives. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for today. And I thank you for what you're doing in the middle of this church. I thank you for uh, that I can be a part of it. Lord, you are sovereign. Enable us to speak your words with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to do the unimaginable. In your name I pray. Amen. God bless. Have an amazing week. A fellow.